All right, Matthew 19. Matthew 19. I, I don't know. Hopefully we're live. And uh, Okay, so Matthew 19. Uh, let's, go, let's pick up in verse 27. Uh, last time we went through this passage, and I told you we're going to come back and get some of the detail here, um, and we're going to clean it up. Uh, Matthew 19, verse 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration. Uh, that's the kingdom, and we talked about that last time. That's what Peter talks about in Acts 3, when he talks about the time of refreshing. In Romans 8, when Paul talks about the uh, creation groans and, then, and, and travails, and then it's delivered from the bondage of corruption. Uh, that's part of the kingdom activity. It's part of our activity in the heavenly places as well. So the nation of Israel here, they will experience a regeneration in that millennium. That's what we're talking about. And when Christ comes back, removes the curse, gives uh, a regeneration, a, a new life to creation itself. Uh, he says, when, when you followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory. That's, again, from last time, that, that issue of him in Matthew 25 where he sits on that throne as Messiah uh, and uh, where he is he's, um, in Jerusalem. Yeah, that literal, physical, visible, earthly Davidic kingdom is established. It's set on the earth. It's there. And uh, he, he's king now, and he sits there on the throne. He goes on and says, Ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or fathers, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. And, and that, that, that verse 29 is kind of a humorous verse, because... You can forsake your wife, so you get rid of your wife. <laughs> a guy one time used that on, just kick her. And, and so all the ladies are looking for, where does it say kick the husband out? Get rid of the husband, you know. <laughs> and so it's a humorous verse there. You can take it that way, but re not really. The, the issue isn't that. The issue isn't getting rid of everybody. The issue in the passage has to do with the, the, the discipleship that's going to be required of that little flock, that issue of forsaking, that issue of being willing to leave everything and to go follow him. Now, I'll be honest with you, seriously, the issue of the husband and the wife and the brother and the sister and all that, if you're a husband or a brother or a sister, you're going to want to be there too. You're not going to be want to be left behind. So then what are you going to do? You're going to forsake all that as well. So the issue here is that, that issue of really getting on with the program, the issue of discipleship. But also here in the passage is the issue of the governmental structure of the kingdom on the earth. And he, that's what he's describing here is when he, sa when he says there, you're 12 apostles, you're going to sit in 12 thrones, and you're going to be judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And that is literally the... The twelve, that, that is the structure of the, of, the, of the government here on the earth. The last couple months and Sunday mornings, uh, come over to Acts 7. 
We've been looking at the heavenly places, and we looked at that governmental structure that you and I are going to have and the body of Christ has in the heavens. Here's what it looks like here on the earth. Um, that, that is, by the way, there's how many tribes? Twelve. Not ten, not fourteen. Actually, there's really thirteen tribes. But, but Levi doesn't get a piece of the action because he's the priest of the tribe, okay? By the way, 13 is a number of rebellion, <laughs> okay? But 12 tribes is the issue. And the, the, that number 12 is, a, is the number of Israel. It represents Israel. Um, Acts 7, look if you will here at verse 8. We're, gonna, we're gonna just going to spend some time talking about this. And we'll watch the clock and see how far in the 20, Matthew 20 we can get. But this is critical here as we begin to now move on in Matthew that we have this in our minds and our understanding because it's showing, because he's going to go talk about some things in, in Matthew 20 that are going to hook into 19 with this stuff that's going on here with Peter and what Peter says that because what's coming for the Lord is the cross resurrection, ascension, and then boom, kingdom's supposed to come. So you get, he's educating that believing remnant. Acts 7, verse 8. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. <coughs> Sorry. And so Abraham begat Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day. And Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat the twelve patriarchs. There are 12 tribes. We call it Israel, okay? That's because Jacob's name gets changed to Israel, so we call it the 12 tribes of Israel. But those 12, come back to Numbers chapter 1. Those 12 patriarchs that are going to come out there, that belongs, that's the identification, Numbers chapter 1, of the nation of Israel. By the way, when you pull a ruler out, how long's your ruler? 12 inches. If you go on the metric side, it's 10 inches. It goes, they go by the tens. Do you know the number 10 in your Bible belongs to the Gentiles? And what is the Gentiles always trying to do? Usurp and, and belittle the nation of Israel. 12. So you've got some interesting thing there where when this country was founded, they had an understanding about Israel being special and everything. So they instituted the the 12, the U.S. system, rather than holding on to England and the metric system, which over there. So you got a little history here as well. So you just kind of pay attention to that. Uh, the number 12 is a Jewish number. It belongs to the nation of Israel. And um, Numbers 1, verse 16. Whoops. Numbers 1, verse 16. These were the renowned of the congregation. Now he just listed the 12 boys. He's got them all going there, okay? These were the renowned of the, of the congregation, princes of the tribes of their fathers, heads of thousands in Israel. Come over to 1 Chronicles 27. He's given a list of names there, and, he, and what does he say? These were the renowned of the congregation. These are the heads these are the princes. These are the heads of the thousands. First Chronicles 27. If I didn't tell you, I'll tell you again. And that's, that's the, the God-ordained number 
for the nation of Israel. Each tribe was going to have a prince. Each tribe would have one man that ruled over. He was the head. David comes from the family of Jesse, but he came out of the tribe of Judah. So Judah was the head. We'll see that here. But he came out of that tribe of Judah, and Jesse was dad and so forth, but they had a prince. 1 Chronicles 27, uh, the, the, and these princes ruled over the, over the tribes. Uh, 1 Chronicles 27, look at verse 16. Furthermore, of the tribes of Israel, the ruler of the Reubenites was Eleazar, the son of, then verse 17, of the Levites, right? Verse 18, of Judah, Elihu, one of the brethren of David, of Ishakar, Omar, of Zebulun, and you go all the way down to verse 22. You got all of them listed, and here's the rulers, here are the heads at that time. Of Dan, Azarel, the son of uh, Jehoram, thank you. These were the princes of the tribes of Israel. All through Israel's history, God has put a prince over each tribe. Now, come over to Isaiah chapter 1. These 12 princes ruled over the 12 tribes, so they, it was a ruling system, okay? Um, when they would go in and they would sit in judgment, and the judges, the 12, would get together, you know? You know the old saying, rather be judged by 12 than carried out by 6, you know? Well, that's what we're talking about. The 12 would come together, the ruling family, the ruling princes, and then they would adjudicate the business of the nation as a whole. So this is the, a ruling type system. Now, the 12 apostles, what did he just tell them? You're the 12 princes. You're the guys that are going to sit on the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes. You guys are going to be those princes out there in the kingdom. Follow that? Okay? That's what's happening here. Um, Isaiah... Um, chapter 1, boy, I'm going to get there. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 25. And I will turn my hand upon thee, and purely purge away thy dross, and take away all thy tent. That is what the second come, the 70th week of Daniel is all about. The 70th week of Daniel, Daniel chapter number 9, it's um, determined upon thy holy city, and thy people, okay, is the, is the issue of purging away the dross and taking away the ten. Get all the phony and the fake out and the bad out. And I will restore thy judges as at the first and thy counselors as at the beginning. Afterward thou shalt be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Notice you got judges you got counselors, you got princes. That's all the same guy, okay? It's all the same title, all right? By the way, in the book of Judges, do you know how many judges are listed in Judges? Thirteen, okay? You got 12 good ones and you got one bad one, all right? So you've got judges, and it just so happens I know your Bible to work out that way. No, what it says to you and tells you is that your Bible has a divine author who knows the beginning from the, and the end, and he knows everything that's going to happen before it ever happens. 
And that's the wonderful thing here. Come over to Isaiah chapter 32. Isaiah 32. So one of the ways or one of the functions whereby the, 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 that righteousness was established in Israel was that they had judges and they had counselors. So when there was a dispute or something comes up, they would go up and they would take care of it. They would work it out and they would do it according to the Mosaic law. Okay, Isaiah 32, verse 1. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes, plural, shall rule in judgment. Now, Christ is the king, right? And then you've got the princes, one for each of the 12 tribes, 12 princes. But in Matthew, he said to the 12 apostles, you guys are going to be sitting on the 12 thrones doing what? Judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Come over with me to Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah 30. So if we put this on the board, you're going to have Christ. You're going to have Christ. Okay. Then you're going to have David. We'll get to him in just a minute. And then you're going to have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Right? You're going to have 12 thrones matching up to the 12 tribes of Israel. And what Christ is going to do is he's going to be kind of head over all of this here. And David is going to sit on the throne so then you've got the 12 apostles, and you've got the 12 tribes, and then they are going to be over, we're going to see here in just a minute, the Gentile nations out there, okay? And we'll show you those verses and so forth, all right? You see what's kind of happening here? This is how this is working. Where you and I in the church, the body of Christ, we come out, who's our head? Christ is our head, right? So he's going to be over, here it is, and then we've got those principalities, powers, mights, thrones, dominions, rulers, and every other name that's named. See, same thing, okay? Ultimately, these two work together for the glory of the Godhead. And that's how that works out, okay? Jeremiah chapter 30. But in Matthew, that's where we're at, all right? <laughs> We've been talking about that. <laughs> now we're talking about this here in the middle. All right, did I lose you? I see you. I didn't lose you. All right, Jeremiah 30. Notice verse number 18. Um, this passage is a second coming of Christ passage, just so to kind of get an idea and then he's going to talk about the kingdom. Verse 18, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring again the captivity of, of Jacob's tents and have mercy on his dwelling places and the city shall be burned upon her own heap and the palace shall remain after the manner thereof. This microphone... 
set. This shall be builded, burned, builded, same thing. We'll get it there. Well, hey, what was bothering me was this microphone kept hitting me in the side of the head. Then I'll get a call. Hey, microphone. All right, where were we? Verse 19. And out of them shall proceed thanksgiving, and the voice of them that make merry, and I will multiply them, and they shall not be few, and I will also glory, uh, glorify them, and they shall not be small. Their children also shall be as aforetime, and their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all that oppress them. And their nobles shall be of themselves, and their governor shall proceed from the midst of them. And I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach unto me. For who is this that engaged his heart to approach unto me, saith the Lord? The point there is that the heathen are no longer going to rule over Israel. That's what's happening here. They're... There are nobles, there are governors, there are rulers that are going to be their own people. And you can go, um, we can go on and on and on, but what Matthew 19, come over to Luke 19. Matthew 19, 12 apostles are going to rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. Right now, they're on Israel, even today in the age of grace, even though their program's been set aside, in the Lord's day, in the Gospels period, the first century there, um, Israel is under the fifth course of judgment of Leviticus 23 there. And because of that, the Gentile, that fifth course is the Gentile rulership is over them. 1948, the League of Nations, actually Britain did it, they established the, 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 the nation state of Israel. Everybody thinks that's when Israel got their land back, but Israel didn't get her land back. When you read what the land encompasses, they got a little sliver. They should have had the whole territory, but they didn't get that. So, but who gave it to them? The Gentiles did. So they're still under Gentile dominion, but we're in the age of grace today, and there's no Jew nor Gentile. God's not operating in that economy. But when you think about what's going on, the, Gen the Israel... Because of their reaction to the word of God and to Moses in the, back in the day, <laughs> the good old days, he says, you're not going to hearken, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen. And he lays out five of them on them. And they, don't get, they are not liberated from that until the second coming of the Lord. All right, Luke 19. You found it now, right? Luke 19, verse 11. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable. Because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So who's the nobleman? That's Christ. He goes off to a far country. He's going to get the kingdom and he's going to come back. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. All right? So he calls his servants together. He gives them authority. He, by the way, how many does, does he get? How, how much authority? He gives them how much pounds? Ten. What's ten number of? Gentiles. All right? So they're going to have some authority over the Gentiles. 
and he says, occupy till I come. Now, in our other studies, we've understood that, and we've come to understand when he says, and when we studied Luke, when he says, occupy, they have an occupation to do. And this is, what he's talking about is the Acts period. I'm here, I'm here with you, I'm going to leave, that's going to be Calvary, I'm going to go up there and get a king, get the kingdom, but while I'm gone, you guys are down here doing a job. You're doing that Acts 1 to 8 ministry, early Acts ministry, all right? And then he says, verse 14, but his, um, but his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. That's Acts 7. And what happened in Acts 7? Stephen is stoned. He looks up. The Lord's standing to do what? Time to come back, right? But what's he coming back with here? The kingdom. It's time to get this ball rolling and keep it rolling. Verse 15, and it came to pass that when he was returned, in other words, he was going to come back regardless of what they did. <laughs> what they do? They sent Stephen up there, Acts 7. He's having received the kingdom. Then he commanded these the, uh, the servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. And, and again, we understand the, the, the story here, verse 16, then came the first saying, Lord, thy pound had gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in the very little, thou hast authority over ten cities. Then you, know, then you, you keep going, then it goes to five, and then you got down to nothing. The guys, the guys, the Lord is giving them. By the way, this is the this is the reward that they're getting for maintaining. But what are they getting? What is he getting authority over? Those Gentile nations. See, that's what they're gaining authority over. And the issue of the reward for that little flock has to do with authority to reign over some cities. So not only does Christ reign over Israel, you know, through David, and not only do the 12 apostles sit on those 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes, but then the tribes turn around and then they go out, Matthew 28, there at the end of Matthew 28, they go out into the nations preaching and so forth and doing. They have authority as well, okay? Now, come back to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32. So you've got, I like Deuteronomy 32. It's the song of Moses. It's all prophetic. He looks at them and he says, you guys, this is your history. Good luck. Love you. I'll see you in, in glory. <laughs> and dies. You know, he, Moses knows his ends are near. And he prophetically gives them a picture of, of everything that's going to come to pass. Luke, uh, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 32. By the way, if you look at the end of ver well, look at verse eight. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when He separated the sons of Adam, He set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. How many number is that? That's twelve. Verse nine's the verse. For the Lord's portion 
is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. God's going to have his inheritance in Israel. And he's going to divide up the earth into those 12 sections, and he's going to let the 12 tribes then, that governmental authority, go and represent him as Messiah as, he, as they go out and they do their, their job. Okay? In Revelation, how many leaves, how many, how many on that, um, the fruit of the tree of life, do you, know, do you know how many, do you remember how many leaves there were? Twelve. How many trees are lining? Twelve. Okay? They bear, they bear that fruit once a month, and what's it for? The healing of the nations. Not Israel, she's healed, but the Gentiles. Okay, so you've, you're, you're playing all, you, you've got all of that going on. So there's going to be, a, there, the, there's a government that goes out here to the nations and they're going to begin to, well, you're in Deuteronomy, right? You need Isaiah, but go to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. They're going to go out there, Matthew 28, verse 19. Go you therefore and teach all nations. How many nations? All of them. All right? They're not going to sit back and just say, well, they, those guys will never understand us. <laughs> They're going to all the nations, preaching, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Well, what did he command them in Matthew 5? You teach the law. What are they out there doing? They're out there teaching the law, but not the Mosaic law, but the Messianic law. They're teaching the New Covenant. Now, the law is the same. Okay, God doesn't rewrite the law. Now it's an application of that law. The Mosaic law says, if you perform, then you get the blessing. Okay? The Messianic law says, I have provided everything for you, just trust me. Jeremiah 31, 31. I've done every, Ezekiel 30, I've done everything for you. So the law, Mosaic law, fear-based. Boom, boom, boom. The new covenant is grace-based. It's a, I have done it for you. Okay? Now come back to, did I tell you Isaiah 55? If not, Isaiah 55. You follow that? It's very interesting. The Abrahamic covenant when he first lays out the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, he gives Abraham pieces. He says, you're going to have a land, you're going to have a kingdom, and then you're going to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. In the land issue, Israel gets to a point where they say, he's never going to give us the land. So then God comes in there and he says, and he gives them the Palestinian covenant, we call it. And he says, even though you're a bunch of dirty, rotten, no good sinners, I will give you the land. I will do it. Then the king, the Davidic covenant, they wanted a king, so they wanted Saul. He let them have Saul. Well, great guy. <laughs> you know. And then he says, I will give you the king. He let them have David and Solomon. And after Solomon, every king in Israel, both northern tribes and the southern tribes were a bunch of 
Well, not all of them, but the majority of them were flops. Then he says to Abraham, you're going to be a blessing to the families of the earth. And there's the new covenant. And he says, I'm going to put a new heart in you. I'm going to write my laws in you. I'm doing this. Why? Because they're sons of Adam. They're sinners. They can't do it. See? Now, we understand all that because we have Paul. And Paul shines a light on that and says, here's what's really going on over there. Okay? All right. Isaiah 55. This, this stuff here with the government structure, it's fascinating to me because there's no guessing in this. It's right here. The, the hardest part is believing it. Okay, that's right. Well, when you come with a believing attitude, then guess what? It's right. And you don't have to worry about is it going to, you know. That's why those guys, the disciples, saying, Lord, am I going to sit on your right hand or your left hand? You know, put my boys around you. It's just so, you know idiotic to have that kind of a fight go on but that's what happens so because of of sinful men all right isaiah 55 look at verse 3 isaiah 55 3 incline your ear and come unto me here and your soul shall live and i will make an everlasting covenant with you even the sure mercies of david behold i have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. Come over to Jeremiah 30. Jeremiah 30. Now we got David. Jeremiah 30 and verse number 9. Jeremiah 30, verse 9. But they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, now watch, whom I will raise up unto them. The indication is, is David's going to be what? Resurrected. But he's going to be resurrected into the king slot. So back here, I know we got this up here. <clears throat> okay, so... 70th week, tribulation, second coming. Remember those 75 days in there? Guess who comes up in those 75 in the beginning there? David does. Abraham, we've already seen over there in Matthew 8, where you've got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are sitting there, and when they come into the kingdom, guess who they get to see? They get to, they get to see them. But who's there too? David is. Look over at Ezekiel. There's 75 days between the end of the second, at the second coming and the beginning of the kingdom reign. Okay? And we, we, all right, so we have an election November 3rd, right? When does the president take office? The end of January, right? We call that a transition period, don't we? Do we have an inauguration? So the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, finishes up everything. We have a 75-day, roughly 75-day period in there, Daniel 9, Daniel 8, Daniel 12, Daniel 11. And you know what happens? you got 75 days in there of, a, of an inauguration of the earthly, the literal, physical, visible, earthly Davidic kingdom. It starts the thousand years, right? 
Then you got the Satan bound, Satan loose, the great white throne judgment, and then off into the new. And this time, all of this is being set up. David is resurrected and set in as king. Okay? Uh, Ezekiel 34. <laughs> I don't know what I know either. Ezekiel 34. Um David will not be surprised. No. No, he's there. Yeah. Well, if Moses hadn't hit the rock the second time, he'd have went into the promised land, but he didn't. He disobeyed the word of God. He didn't speak to it. And, and when you think about that, when he hit the rock the second time, one, he disobeyed the word. He said, speak. But how many times is Christ crucified? He's the rock. Just one time. There's only one time where the rock Christ was going to be beaten on. And that was Calvary. That's done. That never going. So there's a great pictures. But again, talking about understanding right division, Paul's the one that shines lights on that. See, you know, because when you read through it, you go, why did, what's so big deal about hitting the rock the second time? Whoop-de-doo. Well, when you come over to Paul and Paul shines the completed progressive revelation complete you go wow that's why because he died once for he died how many times once so moses hit the rock twice and you can't do that that's not allowed so all right ezekiel 34 I'll give you another one here verse 23 you know Dwayne said it this this stuff gets so fascinating when you look at it dispensationally but also just study it out where it belongs. All right, Ezekiel 34, verse 23. And I will set up one shepherd over them. By the way, this is a book about the political and religious, this part of the book, about the political and religious setting up in the millennial kingdom. Okay? Ezekiel is going to begin to look at the millennial kingdom and what's going to happen out there. That's why in verse in chapter 36, there, verse 24, 25, I'm going to sprinkle you with clean water. There's the new covenant. Verse 26, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put a new spirit in you. I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes. There's the messianic law. So much so that in verse 37 of Ezekiel 36, they say, what you did to us, go do to the Gentiles. That is a new heart in Israel because the Israelite would never say that about a Gentile. What did the Lord say? I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The Gentiles can pound sand right now. But out here in the kingdom, they're going to say, do it for them. What you did for us, do it for them as well. And then in 37, you've got the valley of dry bones. You've got the two sticks you got Gog, Magog, you got all this stuff going on that happens in that millennial kingdom time. All right, back to, verse, to, to chapter 34, verse 23. And I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David. He's going to be the shepherd. He shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken it 
and I will make with them a covenant of peace, and I will cause the evil beasts to cease out of the land, and they shall dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods, and I will make them and the places round about my hill a blessing, and I will cause the shower to come down in his seasons. There shall be showers of blessings. We sing that goofy song, Showers of Blessing, that is talking about the millennial kingdom. We should never sing that song, okay? It's not about you and I. It's not about us today. We already have our blessings. What are they waiting for? They're waiting for theirs, and it's over there in that kingdom, okay? Come over to Hosea, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Hosea, 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 do you see any red bugs on me? Hosea chapter 3, Hosea chapter 3. David's going to rule and reign over them. It's going to be Christ as the head. He's overseeing all of it, but David is their king. And the reason for that is because out there in the new heaven and the new earth, the Godhead moves up and they, they become the focal of everything. And so there they are. Hosea 3, verse 4. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, and without a prince, and without a sacrifice, and without an image, and without an ephod, and without a teraphim. You think that's going to be a bad day? By the way, they've already had it in the pictures. Okay? Afterward, after they go through their time with absolutely nothing, <laughs> shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. Now, when Hosea writes this, David's been dead a long time. So he's talking about the kingdom. That's what he's talking about out there. And shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. There it is. What I'm, when you come back here to Matthew 19, what we're talking about is that governmental structure of that kingdom. All right, Matthew 19. And that's important to grasp. It's important to understand because we, don't, we might not understand every little detail, and that's okay. It's not really written to us. You know, we're Gentiles. We think a certain way. But that Jew in the moment, in the time, he's going to know exactly what's going on. Let him who read understand, and they're going to know it. But you and I, we can see, we can back up because of Paul in Ephesians 1:10 about the dispensation of the fullness of times, and we can comprehend what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height of it, and we can begin to look at it, and we can begin to know some things, so we then can sit here looking at Matthew 19 and rejoicing in it, going, wow, look at what he's going to do this for his people, then he will do that for us, because that's the structure, that's what he's talked about, okay? They understand it. Now, come back to Matthew 19. So, verse 29, And everyone that hath forsaken house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold, 
and shall inherit everlasting life. Again, the idea here, those apostles, they're going to rule over the nations. But everyone in the little flock, the faithful remnant, guess what they're going to do? They're going to get their part in those tribes, and what are they doing? They have authority over the Gentile nations as well. So they're not left out, okay? They're, they also have their reward of the inheritance at well, as well, okay? Now, verse 30. But many that are first shall be last, and last shall be first. 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. So he's, now he's going to give a parable about the laborers in the vineyard. And if you drop down to verse 16, he says, So, I'm going to interpret the parable for you. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last, for many be called, but few chosen. So you see that thing about the last is first, and the first is last? Well, we just read that in 1930, didn't we? So the first part of 20 is connected into the end of 19 here, where Peter makes the comment about, Lord, we have forsaken everything, what are we getting here? We've... We've, we've come along here, and we have given everything up. We've followed you. What's going on? And see, everybody picks on Pete and says, oh, he's being selfish, but he's really not. There's a, there's a theme that he's going to drive down here, and he does it in this parable. So let's look at the parable. Because when you look at the parable, you catch on to what's happening at the end of 19 and what Peter's talking about. And then what the Lord's going to do with that believing remnant as well, which what's, really what he's going to do here is he's going to knock off the I get something and you don't attitude. <laughs> he's going to just kind of set them up. And this is how the kingdom is going to work. Verse, uh, Matthew 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder. Okay? So who would be the householder? It's God the Father. All right? Hebrews chapter 3, the first six verses over there, talks about the household is Israel. And the man here is a householder. And he's going to go out early in the morning. And he's going to hire laborers. Well, Isaiah 5 says that he hires laborers to work in his vineyard. Isaiah 5 says that Israel, the vineyard is Israel and Judah. So we got that, right? Verse 2, and when he had agreed with the labors for a, for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. And again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. And about the, twelfth, about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? 
They said unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also in the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So what's happening here? The householder, again, picture of God the Father, he goes out looking for workers in his vineyard. He comes up on some guys. He, he goes out, by the way, he goes out four times, four, the four watches here. He goes out in the morning, 6 a.m. He goes out again at 9 a.m., the third hour. He goes out at noon, the sixth hour. He goes out at 3 in the afternoon, that's the ninth hour. Then he goes out at like 5, five in the afternoon, and he's hiring. He, he's going out looking for the workers. He's, he, he is out seeking that which is lost. All right, the earthly ministry of Christ. He's reaching out. He's finding people in the nation of Israel. That he's, he's forming up. He's gathering up that believing remnant, that little flock. Who's going to come and work? And again, that timing element here is very critical. Mark 13, we looked at it already. You go Mark 13, about verse 34, 35, right in there. And you know what? He's got that, those watches and everything, and he's going. So when you look at that, what's he doing? He's getting them ready. And what you have here in the... We just had the conversation about the governmental structure... Now you have a conversation, a parable, about the timing of the second coming of Christ. Here it comes. Here's these divisions up. All right? So in, from verse 1 to 7, the thing you've got to pay attention to here, as is dealing with Israel, is it's setting up a time schedule with regard to the coming and now it's going to get time to pay off the servants who serve him during the tribulation. Okay? Now, I kind of drew this up here, but can you guys see this here? If you take the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation, you can mark it up in four time periods. All right? It starts over here at 6 a.m., and it ends over here at 6, or I'm sorry, 6 p.m., and it ends at 6 a.m. Get the, get the timing right, okay, Rick? All right. What happens at night in Scripture, good or bad? Bad. What comes up in the morning? Malachi 4 says the sun rising, S-U-N, capital S, rising with healing in his wings. And you can literally mark them off so that as his second coming, guess who's coming? 6 a.m. in the morning, here comes the sun, capital S-U-N, the big guy. And what's he doing? He's bringing, he's bringing the rest of restoration to the nation of Israel. So in the first seven verses of this parable, you've got this timing of the workers out here. But at the end, guess what it's going to end up being? Time to pay them. Now we're going to pay them. Verse 8. Okay. You follow that? All right. Verse 8. So when even was come, 
The Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. So he's going to pay them from the last guy's in to the first guy. Now they came in, so he's paying them in reverse order. Okay? So the last guy's in, did they work a full day or they kind of worked? They didn't. They only worked a piece of it, didn't they? The first guys in have been working the whole time. Now, watch what happens. Verse 9. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received, what? More. And they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house. Guess who the good man of the house is? There's the Lord. What's he doing? He's rewarding them for their work. What did they say? Saying, verse 12, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that, that thine is, and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Now watch. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? Boy, what a question. By the way, the answer to the question is yes. You do, you know, it's his. He can do with it what he wants. Is thine eye evil because I am good? He rebukes them for that. And by the way, that is what the, that's the argument of the legalists there against God operating on his grace. I've been toiling all along. I should get more. But that guy that just snuck in on the end down there, you gave him the same. Legalist, I've been performing. And it goes up against God's grace. God can do what he wants to do. You guys agreed to work for a penny, all right? Now you're complaining about because someone else, somebody else gets something, all right? You're get, the guys that are getting the penny at the, the, the first guys, they're getting the penny because that's what they agreed to get. But if you look back up there, what did the rest of the guys agree to get? That which was right, see? They didn't agree to a half a penny or whatever. They agreed. They said, look, we'll do. You just pay us what's right. There's, a, there's an issue here about God's grace and how God's operating and what God's doing. He set up the rules. He's given them what the, their reward of their service, and what he's telling them and what he's teaching the believing remnant, the apostles, is that the reward of their service isn't based on their merit. It isn't based on their working. It isn't based on a debt that God owed them. 
but rather the reward is going to be handed out based on his grace. And here, when, when, again, man, when you talk about reward and rewards and all this stuff, you and I, even us today in the age of grace, we don't get it based upon our activity. We get it based upon his grace. Now, we're told to go do good works and to build up the inner man and everything. But in doing that, you know what you can build then? A little wood, hay, and stubble because you're doing it and pat yourself on the back and that little pride word gets going and who look at me look at what I'm doing and he says yeah well the big lighter here it comes gone you know we'll fix that but you're going to get the reward that every other name that's named category because not because you deserve it but because his grace says everybody's going to get a position follow that that's what's happening here okay he's pointing out the reward is based on a, on, on, on a motive. And he's pointing out the motive here of why do you get the reward? What's the motivation for getting the reward? So when you go back up into Matthew 19, verse 27, Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? We have forsaken all. We did everything. But what did we do? We followed Christ. The motivation behind what Peter was doing and forsaking and giving up was what? Or was who? Christ. We're going to go follow Christ. Verse 28, And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me. The motive for Peter's service and for the kingdom saints service is Christ himself see they weren't looking to gain a throne or this is the first time the lord said you guys are going to be sitting on <laughs> i'm going to take care of you because of my grace and my plan and my program and they peter says lord we've given up everything for you and followed you. And that's the motive. And that's what's happening here. The motive for Peter and for those little flock, for the saints, for the twelve, has nothing to do with getting something. But it has everything to do with following Christ. And that issue right there is true no matter where you're at in Scripture. Today... We follow, we follow the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. Paul says, I want to know him. <laughs> I don't care about the rest of this stuff. I want to know him. And I want to know him more and more and more. I'm here. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But for me to live is what? Is Christ. That's, the, that's what's happening here. See, the reward is an encouragement to the faithfulness. And what these guys are going to get, again, are those positions in that kingdom government. Just as you and I get the positions in the heavenly government. You follow that? That's why we, it's critical to catch what's going on in 19 and what Peter's talking about. Okay? 
And again, ultimately, the issue is that the, glor the, the glory that Christ is going to get out there in the future. Now, go, let's finish verse 16, and we'll pick up here next time. Verse 16. So the last shall be first, and the first last. God, the, the first guys in, what'd they get? They got their penny. They complained, they murmured about it. What did they become? Last. The last guys in, what'd they do? I just give us to us what's right. We're good to go. Thank you. Appreciate it. Wonderful. And what'd they become? They became first. Come back over there to Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. You see, God's going to lift up those who have understood and just trusted in his grace. That's the last becoming first. They Again, they didn't expect... I think about these guys that got in on that last hour. He says, I'm just going to pay you what's right. They said, that's good. They weren't looking, they were probably looking for half a penny, you know, a shekel or whatever. And he says, no, here's a penny. And they're like, whoa, all right, cool, great, thank you. You know, they, and the other guys are just like, rah, 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 we, we've been here all day. Next time I'm just going to hide around the corner and wait till them come up later. I'll come out, you know, because that's hum our human thinking. And he says, no, you're over there. Matthew 5, look at verse 11. Blessed, happy, are they which are, I'm sorry, verse 11. Blessed are they when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for what? For my sake. Boy, you're going to be glad in the midst of all that messing around, all that trouble out there, all that persecution. Verse 12, rejoice. And be exceeding glad. Look at that. You know what they're out there looking for? Persecution. They're looking for it. Peter tells them over there, if you're going to suffer persecution, suffer it for the right reasons. Do it for Christ. Don't do it because you, you, you made a bad decision. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before me. And that's, I, I think about that, you know. Matthew 20, 16. They knew that the guy was, they knew that the Lord was going to do right by them. So he says, the end of verse 16, for many be called, but few chosen. Now that part of that verse gets abused by the Calvinist and they use that verse to say, see, there's some chosen for salvation and there's others not, and they do all this dance. But do you notice that nowhere in this passage were we talking about salvation or justification unto eternal life? We were talking about what? The motive for that up here, see. The verse is used constantly by people to say, well, many are called, but just a few are elected. <laughs> no, the issue in all of these, this, has to do with that issue of 
understanding the issue of service. We're here to serve. And to serve, in these, these guys' case, in the vineyard. The, the context here, the people who understood what was going on, guess what? They really appreciated the principles of grace. And uh, again, that's an issue in all the passages to all the people of all times. <laughs> and there they are. Now, if you drop down real quick and look at verse 27, he, he will then say, And whosoever shall be chief among you, let him be your servant. Don't let him be first, let him be what? Last. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. There are going to be a lot of workers out there, the Lord says, but there are only going to be a few that really understand what's going on. And Peter, that's who you need to be. You need to remember that the motive and the goal is Christ. That's where you got to focus. Okay? Now we'll pick up Matthew 20 here. 16, 17, and we'll move on next time. I spend the time on this structure because Peter says, we've forsaken everything, what are we getting? And he reminds him, he tells him, this is your, the governmental structure, but then he reminds Peter and everyone that the issue in the kingdom isn't going to be lording over and reigning over like the Gentiles do but rather it's going to be that issue of service. Okay? And I'll tell you what, he's going to do this for Israel, and I know he'll do it for you and I. And we'll just rest in that. We'll, we'll expect him to do what's right. <laughs> I love that little, I'll do what's right. Okay? All right. Dear Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word, and above all, Lord, we thank you for everything that we have in you. And Lord, I just pray that our motive for growing, for learning, for studying, for doing what we're doing is for you. In your name we pray. Amen.